flouted the glistening metal's properties and attributed it to Atlantis. For because of the greatness of the empire, many things were brought to them from foreign countries. And the island itself provided most of what was required by them for the uses of life. In the first place, they dug out the earth, whatever was to be found there, solid as well as fusile, in that which is now only a name, and was then something more than a name, or a calcum, was dug out of the earth in many parts of the island, being more precious in those days than anything except for gold. And so I guess in the times of Atlantis around uh, 400 BC, Orichalcum had vanished, more or less, and was not known to exist anymore uh, by the masses. Um, which is not to say that there were some people that could have had a secret stash of Orichalcum at that time. Um, but this shipwreck that they've recovered the Orichalcum from seems to have been from around 600 BC. Now, if it was also mentioned around 800s BC, or in the set, well, 8th century, but I guess be in the 900s BC. Um, correct me if I'm wrong about this. But it was mentioned by Hesiod. And so maybe it was around um, from the 800s and more prevalent up until the 600s when it vanished. Or maybe soon after that. Um, but this is just absolutely fascinating. Now that was a quote from Plato that I just read before that. Um, does not say what book that was from. But I'm going to go on here. It says, he went on to say that the metal was used to give the interior of the Temple of Poseidon at the heart of Atlantis a magical glow. The zones of Earth were surrounded by stone walls of divers colors, black and white and red, which they sometimes intermingled for the sake of ornament. The outermost wall was coated with brass, the second with tin, and the third, which was the wall of the citadel, flashed with the red light of the orichalcum. Exactly what it was and what it was made of was a matter of speculation. Now they have some pictures of this orichalcum in the article that I can try to link into the chat if anyone wants to take a look at this. But it's absolutely brilliant. Um, it's just about as bright or brighter than gold. Um, and it's got a reddish hue to it. Uh, but way different than something like bronze, which is kind of more... Uh, a brownish gold. Now it turns out that orichalcum may not be as exotic as the ancient tales suggest, though it was almost certainly mysterious to many of the jewelers who formed it and sold it. So it is shown that the metal ingots have been made of 75 to 80% copper and 14 to 20% zinc in a scattering of nickel, lead, and iron. But um, it was said that this orichalcum was made in a very particular manner that gave it its properties. And they've lost the way to create it. They have no idea how it was made or how to recreate it. The process and the uh, sequence in which those alloys were combined to make it. So it's absolutely fascinating. All right, homie Romy's back in the picture here. And he has uh, <laughs> crazy rain out there. It might be getting you technical difficulties. But I'm dying to hear more about this Rosicrucian tomb. Oh, man. I just read that entire article and I was like, wow, they must really enjoy it. Just complete silence over there <laughs> well you left out like soon after you were talking about the latin diagram okay okay um here let's do it real quick yeah it's it's pretty interesting um let's check it out Beep, boo. 
Yeah, so, I was mentioning about the Zora Calcum when you mentioned the Roman diagram. That's like some sacred G right there. Oh, yes. No, dude, that this is yeah, so basically this is like classic Rosicrucian art. Um, you have these eight points, you have the regular cross here, and then you have mm -hmm. these four counter crosses here. And yeah, which is eight arms, which is symbolic to the Tau, which is symbolic to the eight-legged horse of uh, Odin. Um, yep. So it's uh, that number eight, the Ouroboro, continuous, whatever, whatever, all the goodness. So Absolutely. here we go. Um, the diagram comes from Abraham von Frankenberg, a Pansophic Rosicrucian and student of Jacob Bohm. Jacob Bohm. As presented in his alchemical healing manual titled Raphael Arts Angel, which is the classic uh, angels, kind of like this, the Raphaels, you know. Um, as Raphael T. Prinkle points out, in his, ha it has elements that correspond to the altar described in the Fama. The title of the whole diagram is Jesus Mihi Omnia, which, although it's not on the design itself, we find it in the Fama around the circle of brim, the four sentences, a vacuum exists nowhere. The yoke of the law, the liberty of the gospel, and the entire glory of God appear on the arms of the central cross, which seem to be glowing. Between the arms of that cross, there are four big circles with three Tau crosses and two human figures in each quarter which may be taken to represent petals and thus completing the schematic rosy cross symbol together with the central circle. What Mr. Prinkle essentially reveals is that Von Frankenberg had an early design from the Rosicrucian tomb. We know his pansophic circle was active in the 1650s, which makes it a valuable piece. Now, for my own addition to this brilliant research, the diagrams below are from Robert Flood's Fortress of Healing. A careful examination reveals Frankenberg's altar of CRC, Christian Rosicruz, is also based upon Robert Flood's diagram. Urzula Sukowska <laughs> wrote an article titled The Paracelsian Medicine of Theosophy of Abraham von Frankenberg and Robert Flood, which explores this connection in more detail. She concludes that Frankenberg's healing method was also directly influenced by Robert Flood and, in my opinion, represents a Rosicrucian transmission. So here, here's Flood's version of the uh, of his of his healing fortress. They call it the fortress of healing. You got so you got cool. these. Uh, these are the sicknesses coming in here, and uh, yeah, you have some some figures. It looks like a a woman in a bed. Uh, and then down here we have uh, von Frankenberg's version. Whoa! Yeah. So okay, okay. What's that? You got a, an angel riding a narwhal or a whale. Here's a zizel on the right. Yeah, a zizel riding his dragon. <laughs> Whoa! You got Samuel riding the the wing serpent here. Angel of death. And then you got Mahazel writing, I don't know what that is, a salamander? Yeah, the sal fire salamander was a mythical thing from back then. Yeah, so I think that's what that, that could be. 
which is also an alchemical symbol um, for later in the alchemical processes. So that so they're both fantastic, right? This this is this is uh, Robert Floods, which predates, and then this is this is this version from Frankenberg, which this article is just kind of like just validating that Robert Flood made the one before. Uh, but it's still interesting. Here we are. And I'll add just these last couple paragraphs and then we're finished here. Flood's yeah. images uh, describe an inner harmony of health through the metaphor of a fortress. The healthy person is symbolized by the first fortress, which has pure elements on the four winds. The fortress under attack shows how disease infects the body. Notice that Orient, Septentrio, Occidens, and Meredith are named at the angels at the angles of both Flood's diagrams as well as Frankenberg's. More importantly, the tower in Flood's diagrams becomes the triple tau crosses in Frankenberg's, which also is occupied by human figures. In the Fortress of Health, they're fighting off negative forces of illness. And in Altarpiece, you can see the sword as well. Frankenberg's is centralized by a Christ figure, which corresponds to Christ as the ultimate healer in his Raphael system. Whereas Flood reveals that a person must pray from the inside of the fortress to drive away sickness. I've been keeping this baby up my sleeve for a while now. So remember, you saw it here first. <laughs> um, there are several, several practical applications which I'd like to go further into in the future. The essential takeaway, however, is both of the walls and altar of the Rosicrucian tomb are drawn after the designs of may conclude that flood holds the key to the original tomb of christian rosencruz not so far as an actual worldly structure but rather we are one step closer to the original design the manifesto writers had in mind this perhaps changes things and hence that the design of my own pansophic order is taken in the future i might publish those designs if there's enough interest wishing you all the best samuel robinson um yeah that's incredible. Some of that artwork is really amazing. I could I could study that for a long time. There's so much symbology it's, in there. It's my favorite, brother. I love all this. And it, I I love I love the old hermetic art, dude. It's yeah. I I love new artists, but it's like even with this the Sac Geo, which is disgraceful almost to call it Sac Geo, but with what we what we're barely even touching the surface on right now, they're mm. deep deep into it in antiquity and we're just now being like yeah you know mandalas and flower life and stuff but it's like we're nowhere near understanding the mathematics of it the actual you know it's like we need to go back into it our our ancestors were so deep into the math magic that that we couldn't really comprehend a lot a lot of this stuff you know just because i think the way society has kind of got us bogged down like that, bro. You know, it's it's really disappointing. But but this is why what we're doing is so important. And everybody, like you guys are all, like we're all doing that right now. And shit, we are on the void, man. We're on, we're on the, the fucking verge. We are about to tip the wall. Everybody's about to just start seeing mandalas from every angle when they fucking close their eyes. It's going to be just like, oh, yeah. Oh, baby. It is. Yeah, I've been working with the uh, <laughs> cube and trying to integrate the Sephirothic labyrinth from the Kabbalah into Metatron's cube uh, using the sacred G. Mm -hmm. um, but there's nice. like uh, 
Oh. Too many of the Sephirothic uh, points, so I just combined two of them uh, together. But I think I've heard that Sacred G might be a map of the crystal of the sapphire in the Ark of the Covenant, which might have had like magical or possibly electrical or maybe even radioactive properties. Mm. And so I've seen All this really above. about that. That's that could be something amazing. Secret map to a crystal in the sacred G. Yeah. And what's the crystal? What's the crystal? The inside of the planet, right? The yeah, labyrinth it, is a map to the, the inside. You know, I mean, I I think yeah. so. I think the ley line maps, I think that's what these reptilians or the people that the bloodlines were lucky enough to have this ancient information that we're trying to, we're like scraping at the seams to try to get some of the stuff that some of these lucky bastards just have access to, <laughs> you know, this ancient information just because they're, they're born in this family and what have you. And I think a lot of it ties into it, man. I think, I think it's, I think a lot of it goes down below our feet. You know, he said it in that article there. Uh, one of the four mottos of the Ro the Rosicrucians is the vacuum is nowhere. Like, what is it? What do they mean by that? What what did they What do they mean by that? Did they mean the vacuum of space? Like, what? So here, let, me, let me go back to it real quick. That was interesting. Um, yeah, yeah. So the, the title of the whole diagram, Jesus Mihi Omnia, which although is not on the design itself, we find it in the Fama around the circle of brim. The four sentences, a vacuum exists nowhere. The yoke of the law, the liberty of the gospel, and the entire glory of God. Now, I guess maybe we should look up the circle of brim. With those parts afterwards, it kind of seems like it's representing the vacuum being like the lack of like the void or something like that. Maybe referencing uh, like a dark realm. I felt like that's what they might have been referencing. Although it gave me the idea also that they could have been talking about a physical like vacuum that they used with the properties of physics to like maybe create like some kind of a furnace and use like the uh, the flu where it would it would pull the air out of somewhere they use like a vacuum with a flu and like a fireplace vacuum process huh okay but like outer space actually was not considered uh the vacuum of space up until einstein's time he changed the name of outer space which used to be the ether into the vacuum hey what's happening who do we got here what's happening man? hey what's up it's barsky barsky How's it going? What's good, brother? How are you? I'm good, man. I'm doing good. Well, at the nice. train, sta tra train station, I was like, screw it. I'll say what's up. I got yeah. the kills. So I'm like, yeah. Awesome. So what's up? What's the deal, man? Tell us. Tell, tell all this shit. We're just, you know, out here chatting about the Rosicrucian labyrinths to the center of the center of the earth. Oh, shit. Sounds like a blast. <laughs> Sounds like good, good times for a Sunday afternoon, man. Sunday well, dude, you're evening. in a... You're in a train station, man. When was that train station bill? Is this an old one? Is it like a no, more new wish, train station? I wish I wish I was in Baldwin. I don't know if y'all are familiar with Baldwin Bankrupt, but the um, like he goes around. He's he's an English cat who goes around all over former Soviet Union, and he travels to all these different spots. It's so dope. But anyway, 
Uh, nice. No, I'm in. I'm in. This is the halfway between Chicago, straight this way, and Milwaukee is straight this way. So I'm dead in between here, and I just came from Milwaukee. From out here. Um. Anyway, yeah. So I was just coming back from Milwaukee. Um. Had to stop up there, hung out for a little bit at the Brewer game. We ended up losing. Big deal. Um. But yeah. Had a good time up there. Caught the train back. <laughs> just just wait, waiting for waiting for a friend to come scoop me, and uh, ain't paying them ridiculous Lyft flash Uber fees right now. So yeah, man, everything's everything's gravy. So we'll love were, that. Were, was any of y'all able to join us last night? I didn't. I didn't realize. I wasn't able to look at the chat too much, but I actually made it for the whole show last night. So for the spiders. Oh, for the spiders. Uh yeah. Yeah, I I wasn't able to pop on spiders uh last night. Unfortunately, I was I was in pain last night. My entire jaw was just like flaming every 20 minutes. Uh, yeah. Do you have a uh do you have an abscess? You 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 doing all right? Dude, now? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what's going on, honestly. Like I actually have well here, let's let's pull up this article I did bring up about I was curious because we're, you know, we're experiencing all these retrogrades right now. We're experiencing so much celestial um, strangeness going on or, or, you know, peculiar occurrences. Yeah. And uh, I I looked up uh, astrology and dental problems and. uh, Oh, shit. Yeah. So let's, let's, let's check out what these, what these people have to say here. Astrology. It's me and you. I don't mean to cut you off, but bro. Okay. Got the worst mm-hmm. teeth ever, man. But go, yeah, let's, let's uh, let it rip. If it is, <laughs> cove oil, cove oil really helps with like any infection in your tooth. And that'll For take sure. cove infection. oil really works. That stuff's incredible. It is, but I'd rather just have them pull, my- like, scrape <laughs> out my face. <laughs> just <Yeah>. pull them. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah, it's Ugh. like that. Trouble, man. Oh, word, man. Word. Um, we- okay, so. Oh, let's go. Let's go. Let's see. Um, astrology teeth problems. The second house in our horoscope is responsible for the beauty of teeth. The seventh house rules dental diseases and Saturn is a significator of teeth. Oh, fucking Saturn. Classic. Classic. The diseases of teeth are controlled by the signs Taurus and Libra. Are you either one of those signs, brother, in any of your chart? Ready to go. I'm is he there. I think he dropped out. I don't know where he's at. Oh shit. Okay. Um, he heard either there. way. I'm I, here. I, I'm here. Oh, I'll, I'll be right. I'm right here. I'm grabbing my, my birth chart so I can actually show you. Solid. Oh, nice. Oh, cool. Cool. Yeah. I'm a Taurus rising. So I, I guess this kind of fits in and I actually technically was supposed to be born as a Libra September 25th, but I was in the womb for an extra month. Yay, yay, 11 pound baby. 10 months in the womb. Boom, boom, boom. Yeah. yeah. Go you, man. <laughs> My mom was real, real stoked to get me out. <laughs> they yeah, said like yeah. when, when the scheduled time was there, they were just, he was like, no, this kid's, this kid's not coming out. They kept going back a week later, a week later, a week later. And I still wasn't coming out. And then they're like, okay, man, we, we're going to have to cut this baby out because he's just going to die in there if we don't pull him out. I was like, no, I don't want to go. <laughs> it's wrong time. Oh, God. Anyways, the second house 
house is the seat of teeth. Seventh house rules of dental diseases, and Saturn is the Karaka for teeth. Brisha and Tularisi of the natural zodiac control diseases of teeth. Affliction to second and seventh houses, their lords, and Karaka Saturn, and their relation with the sixth house, the lord of sixth house. Dust Hanas and lords of Dust Hanas give rise to dental diseases, tooth trouble, irregular teeth, etc. When Saturn itself afflicts the second or seventh house, it causes trouble connecting teeth. Saturn's situation in the second house is responsible for setting of bad, ugly, and irregular teeth. Rahu in the second house makes large and prominent teeth, while uh, Malefix transit through the second and seventh houses, particularly Saturn or Rahu. Dental trouble gets in. Malefix, 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 sorry, Malefix in second and seventh houses from sun and moon also give rise to similar diseases. Mesha, Simha, Danhu, Rises, three fiery signs also rule the dental diseases and affliction to the houses. They're not desirable. Afflicted moon and Dahu causes large teeth. Saturn in the second house causes defective teeth. If Rahu be either Lagna in, or in the second house, one possesses large teeth. If K2 be in Lagna, one possesses wider teeth. When Rahu or Saturn is in the second house or in opposition of the Lord, Lagna and Jupiter is in debilitation. Defective teeth is the result. If the Lord in the eighth house be in the eighth house of Jupiter, with the Lord of Lagna is debilitated, they result in a defective teeth. If Saturn be Arcta Carcata, one loses teeth early, provided that said Saturn is uh, malefic. And there's a bunch here. Mars being malefic in second house causes dental trouble. Sun, Moon, and Venus, Venus and Lagna produces dental trouble. So these humans, this human specifically, who what's this guy's name? Um, Achara Raman Kamra has his contact info here. If anybody wants to contact him further on any astronomical, astrological shit, and uh, yeah, I was gonna say, yeah, hit him up. I, I let's. I have mine right here, but I'm curious to know what you think. If I, if let me know if you can still hear me. Can you? Do you want me to? Enter, I'll enter in all your info right here, brother. I'll, I'll submit you. I'll do, I'll do it myself here. Do Let's do it. Okay. All right. So David Barsky. All right. Oh, nice. Okay. Email? SKI. SKI. Ooh. SKI. No worries. Oh, and you got to do your phone number. Are you cool with all that, bro? Yeah, dude. Yeah. Uh, who cares? Let the stalker stalk. <laughs> <laughs> People know how to find me anyway. Who cares? There we go. And emails weaving spiders email. at iCloud at iCloud.com. I think we have a pretty cool audience on here tonight. You don't have to worry too much. My ride just... may be here, gentlemen. So just bear with me if <laughs> I have right. to mute for a second. Okay. Yeah, you're good. Okay. It's interesting that they mentioned Rahu in that uh Okay. In that in that article about the teeth. Uh, I have a Rahu moon. And as you can see, I have some large, prominent teeth. Yeah. And uh, see what you can do. And, oh, really? Uh, the Scorpio moon. Yeah. Whoa. Rahu. Wait. Uh, wait. Moon or Rahu in the 12th house says... Where's the large teeth at here? Rahu moon and Danu. Rahu causes large teeth. Better, huh? 
It represents the ether. And without Rahu, um, there's no volume. There's no, uh, there's no expanse in the universe. Everything collapses without Rahu. Nothing can exist without Rahu. I go, Rahu! A lot of other elements, Chinese and elements don't contain the ether anymore. Needle teeth. <laughs> no, I know this arcada. <laughs> Tiny teeth. I don't know if they're talking about the children. The baby teeth come out early if you have arcada, or if they say loose teeth when you get older early. Probably is what they were getting at. But humans have so many um, troubles with okay bones. Yeah. Yeah, Those I know. It's crazy, right? Much more like aquatic mammals, the low densityness of our teeth and nails and bones. All right. I, I like I like that when sci-fi, um, they go to, um, you know, put that into their into their storylines. Because when you're in, you know, in space and then coming back down on the planet, like they're just landing off of ships and like hopping around and getting into battles and shit. But um, yeah. the experience the expanse they did a great job at you know being like oh the belters can't you know come to earth without having some sort of injections or drugs to gravity uh magnetism and things i think i think the expanse is actually one one of the better uh oh sorry brother i didn't mean to cut you off cutting out a little bit or my cutting out no they just had such a hard time just walking around when the belter girl came to the to the earth and then she snuck yeah. out that window i was like she's not gonna make it man that looked rough. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah. Weird. If you're not used to like a gravity, it takes a lot of getting used to after being atrophied out in space for a while, especially. Oh, man. Uh, so do you want to see what this other article says on the teeth aspect? Um, according to Sarah Valley, volume one, page 98, as Saturn and Mars are placed in the Navamsa of Mercury, the child is born with teeth. The natal teeth are inauspicious an indication of death to the baby or the parents. In the case of natal teeth, it is recommended to perform appropriate remedies. This has been illustrated very clearly with the example horoscope and what remedies to be done in order to cast off the malefic effects of Gandit or Ganmula. Wow. Okay. Starting off with a bang here. Uh, natal yeah. and neonatal teeth. Teeth that are present uh, at birth are natal teeth, and teeth that emerge through the gingiva during the first month of life are neo neonatal teeth, according to Chandaswar of Marta Chintamani. Uh, mm -hmm. Got to get better at my, uh, my Indian here. <clears throat> mm -hmm. In case of natal teeth or neonatal teeth, the baby herself dies. In the case of teeth in the second month, younger brother third month, Sister, fourth month, mother, fifth month, the baby kills her elder brother in sixth month, Atula Yoga, seventh month, prosperity through the father, eighth month, healthy body, ninth month, money in tenth month, baby gets gain, eleventh, eleventh month, happiness, and twelfth month, financial gains. Okay. It's pretty uh <clears throat> pretty Maybe. detailed. Huh? Baby's getting some abundance, man. That baby's getting rich. Getting hey, hey, I'm gonna start. I'm gonna have to start popping them out and just to just to see when their teeth pop. I'm like, okay, all right, you're gonna have to get in the back of the line here, bud. I'm sorry. Uh, your sister though, she's gonna get me some financial gains, so you're gonna have to go over there, bud. 
<laughs> I'm just kidding. Oh, God, so terrible. Um, getting a birth chart done is the first thing Hindus do after the birth of a baby. The objective of doing it immediately after birth is to check various yogas and dosha in the birth chart and perform any remedies if required, especially if there are certain doshas for which shanti is required almost during initial def- uh, the initial few days of birth. Some of the important considerations in astrology are Gandit Mula, Yamai birth, tri- trick birth, trikal dosha, birth with the teeth in some, nakshra as parents, Sakranti birth, birth during an eclipse, Amavayasa birth, Krishna. Recently, I talked about the natal and neonatal teeth with in a recent article. In this article, the first topic I want to take is Gandit or Gandmula. Gand means inauspicious in Sanskrit. Certain part of Nakshatra, Lagna, and Chiti are called Gandit. Mathematically speaking, Gandit is nothing but a sandhi, a junction point. Three sandhi areas are considered here. Combined position of sun, moon, and the moon alone. And Lagna. Do you know what Lagna is? Lagna is another one of those Indian gods that is associated with uh, the different moons. The moon is oh, cause, yeah, because they had a whole whole uh, canon of of moon gods, right? Like dif- different different each day of the moon, almost or fa- phase of the moon. I think they have at so, least twelve, maybe more. Yeah, it's interesting. I'll try to pick that up. Yeah, that's I, I love. So that's something I haven't dug too deep into because the Vedic texts are so thick and they're so interesting. I mean, that's an entire lifetime study and research. Yeah, they're called- Nakshatra, nakshatra goddesses and nakshatra gods. Oh, so beautiful. 20, there's 26, uh, or maybe 27 nakshatra goddesses. So yeah, there's definitely a lot more than 12. Okay, so that would be 27. That's almost a moon month, right? Yeah, Seven, like for- uh, 14, 28. Yeah, 28 in a moon month, so... Yeah, that that there you go. Every day of the moon is a different goddess. That's fucking sweet. I love that. Wow. <laughs> yeah, that's really cool. So advanced. Um, I mean, I think we're good on the on the tea stuff. You guys get it, right? Like, if, yeah, it's absolutely. a thing. It's a thing. I was just curious if it was a thing, so I started looking into it, and I was like, oh, that's so fast. <laughs> Here we go. I had no idea that was astrology <laughs> like that. That's really interesting. Now, um, I wanted to get back into something about this this article with the uh, with the oracalcum. Yes, on please. And uh, it's a mystery how the oracalcum was made. That's one of the biggest mysteries. Because I was reading a little bit after you glitched out um, how Plato said in his time around 400 BC, it didn't exist anymore. So, hey, what's happening, Chief? Welcome to the show. Welcome. Yeah. Keep going, bro. I don't want to interrupt, my friend. You're crushing it right now. Thank you. <laughs> Got you. All right. And so uh, in the article, it says here, um, they have some kind of insight on how this metal was made. Um, but the real um, process has been lost through time. It says exactly how it was achieved remains a matter of debate. One explanation that fits the findings is that zinc ore, charcoal, and copper could have been reacted in a molten crucible. Mm. Whatever the- the shiny brass-like alloy was highly regarded as it did not ever tarnish. It was also durable enough to use in jewelry. It was found just outside a harbor in the Greek colony city of 
Galus, or Galas, which in ancient times was a center for craftsmen specializing in fine jewelry and ornate artifacts. Wow. So they touched. So Galus, I immediately think when you say Galus and it's in Greece, I think Gaelic, which is in other, you know, um, locations in Europe, not Greece. I put. I like to put the etymology together. So that's absolutely. There's a connection. That's interesting. There. The Gaelic people uh, might have been yes. associated with the tribe of Dan, uh, which came down to the Black Sea and then down to the Mediterranean, and it's all interconnected. So it could be something to that right there. The Gaelic. So were they alchemists? Were they alchemists, and they knew they knew oh, yeah. these? Yeah, they probably were like you know pre-alchemy. Like the alchemy was just one of the little glimpses of alchemy that mm -hmm. made it through into Egypt was like what we know today is alchemy, but there might've been way more advanced technology and stuff that they were doing in the Atlantean empire that just got lost, especially when everything was flooded. Yeah. So I let feel me like... ask you, <clears throat> pardon me. Um, if I can take it back, cause you're, you guys are so deep in the weeds. It's, it's amazing, man. I'm, I'm trying to, I'm trying to keep up. On the basics of <laughs> on the basics of like um, all the buildings across the realm, uh, when it comes to that, like I I think of like the, some of this alchemy in terms of like free energy, where you have like all these gold domes and spires, and then you know you have like other metals within the building, and of course they were turned into like churches or whatever. It's almost like that alchemy, and then you throw in star forts, et cetera, like how to like batteries, and you use some of this. I'm thinking of the ener energy aspect. Um, it seems like the alchemy of storing energy back in the day was pretty darn simple, yeah. and the transmission of energy uh, with spires, antennas, and the metals, and the gold domes, and the all these buildings and they even found like poly uh, geopolymers and some of these mm -hmm. buildings like in India and anchor anchor watt and vibrations, all that stuff. I'm looking at big picture. It seems like, what do you, what do you think about that? It seems like there was so much alchemy going on, on a large scale. Um, Everything in history, in my opinion, it was it was held and on like alchemical bias it was like everything that we have now especially like if you look at how the rockefellers made their special oil and petroleum things like that they went to their you know their like chemistry and how we use it now and how it's basically the backbone of science and, and modern tech is exactly how it was back then in the royal houses and and how they kept you know society going and so i think what we are being suppressed is exactly that. Like we're, we're able to kind of just get the basic, you know, we can, we can look at the buildings, but we'll never actually get to know the true full function of the vibratory response of the buildings themselves. I think well, we a lot might... of it had to do with, with sound resonance. Yes. Uh, in Turkmenistan, they're still using this old alchemical technology. And it's just mind blowing. You look at this stuff and they say this is a street lamp, but they have these mm. rods and they have these like rotundas and domes with like these like points coming up with like little balls on them. And they're definitely they've admitted that they're deaf. These are power harnessing 
uh, rods that they have up that they're posing as a street lamp. And if you and look it at light, and it lights the lamp, like no yeah. cables, the lamps lights, the lamps lamp. illuminate. But it also stores, brings energy into a cable and brings it into like an energy facility. Like they're getting their energy from the air, from radiant energy in the air from these poles. Beautiful. The batteries or whatever they're storing it in. It's incredible. But they got one that's like a little Ferris wheel. You go in there and it rotates around. But if you look at this thing in Turkmenistan, that thing is more than some kind of Ferris wheel. You know, that is definitely some kind of uh, energy turbine generator or something that they have over there. There's so much stuff. That thing right there, it is out of this world. Oh, wow. You know, they're doing Beautiful. something over there that's way beyond us. It's like almost like the uh, Tartarian like technology still uh-huh. exists out there. Yeah, because they mm-hmm. haven't really been messed with too much. It's just old school. Old school yeah, is got- where you have some of these remnants of um, that type of stuff. Yeah, they uh, look at so that. It's wireless. You got tons it's of white marble minerals. Yeah, it's all white marble. The whole place. It looks so deserted. You'll never see a car or any people in any of the videos or the pictures. It's just such a strange place. Yeah, when you you got you know you're talking about this alchemy. It's like we're not modern. I mean, we have like this type of stuff is actually pretty simple when you. It's, it's very, very strange, like, when they you go, wow, how did they make us not think of... It's actually not that complex when you think about it. It's just hidden. You can generate electricity, send it, you know, wirelessly, just with um, some of these metal combinations and these, and these stone combinations. But they don't want us to know that. We're, I want, this, is, this is beautiful, man. I'm sorry, I don't want to digress, but, I mean, we see... They, we see um, evidence of this all over the entire world. It's incredible. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm sure some people are more advanced in the knowledge about this. And uh, I think maybe amongst the Freemasons, they could still know about this stuff. And just they have this vow. They have to keep it all secret. They can never tell a soul. And it's like, what kind of secrets are those guys hiding? You know, and I have a I have a little chip on my shoulder when it comes to some people saying, no, Freemasons are cool. It's like, hey, man, if they were so cool, they wouldn't <laughs> be hiding this information and depressing this information, right? They go, no, you don't get it. They're totally cool. They like knowledge. Cool. Well, why don't they share the daggone knowledge? You know what I mean? Like, like what are we doing? Uh, I, have, I have a little chip on my shoulder when it comes to those who defend those who hide knowledge. Romy, if I had some super dope knowledge, bro, I would share it with you. Me too, brother. That's what this is all about, baby. <laughs> you already know. Right. We're yeah. starting so simply. I mean, I know we have people in our chat. Um, shout out to the tribe, yo, all the tribes, where we ooh, take, ooh. Co- bah, bah, yeah, you take yeah, copper yeah, yeah, and yeah. wrap it around and you make your garden harvest better just in mm-hmm. the garden using energy and you use these um, – uh, tower busters, etc. It's it's we're barely scratching the surface, but I mean, gosh, man. And we have the ether, we have energy everywhere. Like, I want to uncover that. I'm not smart enough to build something though with this knowledge, but I want this knowledge to get out. Maybe people smarter than I, I mean, you then. could just start building your own personal devices, man. Like, you know, like rocking your big wire wraps and then doing meditations with you know magnets um one of my favorite clairvoyants 
Uh, I might have the book here. Uh, PB. Uh, PB. No, not PB Barnum. Oh, fuck. Uh, magnetic seership. People have been doing some interesting things with the Oregonite. Yeah. Yes. And I know somebody that's put copper wire coil in Oregonite and like can like change their phone by putting it close in proximity. You can mess with the phone technology somehow. Dude, I saw a guy. I shared. I shared it. Uh, yeah. A little, a little circle of copper, a little circle of nickel, a couple other little metals that you can buy for like literally like a few dollars, and puts a, a multimeter on it and says this is giving out perpetual um, energy. Here's the voltage. You can you can um, light lights with this, you know. And of course, if you extrapolate that out more, you can make a whole neighborhood full of energy and it's not that complex it's like you just place some metals together and it's literally just you know the whole magnetic thing perpetually kind of kind of going around it's it's i don't know how to make that like how to light a whole city up with that way that way you know or, or anything but i'm sure it's like you never know man i know nikolai tesla had this little box that he used to power his car and he could go way faster than any other vehicles at the time <laughs> go up to yep. like six 80 miles an hour at the time in these old cars and uh he brought that box into a tall building one time and i don't think he was telling anybody he won't tell anybody what's in this box he never showed anybody what was in there but it started to go a little bit haywire and he almost like destroyed the entire building he couldn't turn it off at first and it was like this whole fiasco with that but if it that thing can create that much power to make the cars go fast in a little box that size i'm sure they might be able to power a whole city with a box like you know the size of a car or something who knows bro i mentioned um or i didn't mention maybe i watched something recently in the last month or two i think it was i mentioned anchor watt earlier but like um you could like hit their pillars they had the same pillars as all these other quote-unquote greek buildings everywhere around the entire world um you just you just hit them and they have a tone that's the geopolymers Mm -hmm. so you throw in geopolymers and by the way not just the building they would the ground around the building would also be geopolymers to amplify and mm-hmm. you'd have one really powerful the towns the whole towns would be set up so like the big spire buildings that you see that are really lavish you know that are different function than the temple uh even though the temple worship would also oftentimes be you know worshiping of this energy and you get there and obviously the <laughs> cathedrals are built in such a way that hold true the squaring of the circle the merkaba hermonkeli of the architect world um but when you get in there your vibrations are arised and raised through the energy the earthen energy being collected into the building it's getting drawn in because it's using divination through uh through math through sacred geometry you know and so that itself was pulling in just this these different frequencies of all of the different waves that are here you know that that you pull up magnetic waves you could pull up radio waves you could pull up depending on how much current and stacks disc that are in these spires some of these spires have stack disc inside of them with the with the wires wrapping down you know they all had these different functions but i think that the towns themselves like you're saying you'll have the big 
generator building. And then the poly geopolymers will go out to these other buildings and kind of that's like the hub of the town. And um, the history of dowsing is really interesting too. When you're getting into to to looking at these sacred spots and looking at who were, who are the dowsers, who are the navigators. Absolutely, dowsing is so fascinating. How they can find water with just a stick or a rod, and yeah. uh, they're they're trying to now like use these tuning forks to be able to like get a reading of your auric field. It's like we know that our heart has mm -hmm. like a roidal field around it. We don't really know how to measure like things like these energies coming out of our heart or the ley line energies. But if we could build some kind of technology like with a tuning fork or some kind of dowser rod that could actually give some readings and some data and map it out, we could really get some more information on these energy fields. That's like the quantum paradigm shift that we're going into from. Bro, the we're a battery. Yes. Our I appreciate that, man. We are a battery ourselves. Yeah. And if you are in tune. I don't want to go down that road, but if you're we're in tune, you can you can find those other tunes. You know what I mean? <laughs> Naturally within ourselves. No, my heart beats without anyone's permission. It it literally beats on its own, over and over and over again. Oh, and you, you should... oh yeah. Go ahead. No, go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Continue. Continue. No, and that's where you get with the frequencies. Our yeah. heart beats at certain frequencies. Our chakras rock, uh, uh, operate at certain frequencies, and we're in tune. We're not separate from all the stuff we're talking about tonight. We are so connected to it, but we've been disconnected from it uh, malici um, maliciously, unfortunately. So, but we're this info you guys are talking about is now reawakening those uh, that amnesia to where it goes. Yeah, I can put on some tuning forks and find pockets of energy because i am energy oh you know the heart math institute is doing a lot of stuff so like cutting edge to like figure out heart variability and the heart field and all this stuff there's so much more to discover it's amazing but we are definitely like a battery like you said there's so much energy involved in the heart field the cia just released some documents about binaural beats and hemisync and if you can hemisync with binaural beats which is the uh synchronization of your two hemispheres mm -hmm. happens where your brain waves like have this pulse that goes for like hundreds of kilometers and uh i think that's our toroidal field is like can be expanded through meditation in the sinking of wow. the yeah that's that's amazing unfortunately the binaural so like i'm i have a really nice music program uh, it's Logic Pro. A lot of people have it, but it's a great production program, you know. And I was I'm looking into a lot of this stuff for trying when I try to make my music, and it's it's not it's not a chaotic walk, you know what I mean? Um, oh yeah. Um, just the way that these programs are set up. They say math is the divine language, but I think like music is the true divine language and it's, it's a very mathematical process. Mm -hmm. Get these different frequencies, I, music and everything. Yeah. It's one of the seven sacred sciences for a reason. You know, it, it, ha it works on its, on its own sensory level that other things cannot touch you on. Right. Like it, these, these, um, <clears throat> The sacred sciences and the senses and these. Uh oh, he's getting Mercury oh, he's retrograded <laughs> again. 
Yeah, but the sacred sciences, like he was saying, um, there's so much involved with uh, with music and the sacred frequencies, like number 432, for example. Yeah. 32 is known to be a sacred harmonic number, and it's also associated with uh, some of the uh, pyramid that people have been making, I guess, with uh, ancient qubits, which seems to map out the distance of the Earth from the sun, the, the diameter the earth and the distance from the earth to the moon that all synchronize up with and you can open a door by having a specific sort of frequency go into that building or you know maybe you can make a mirror be liquid by shooting a specific frequency at it and you can jump through that and pop yourself in another portal through the sound <laughs> yeah, frequency. Yeah, bro, let's go. I don't like, like I, using planes. This. Hey, screw screw uh, <laughs> all the planes. I just want to come to – yo, Romy, let me show up. Let me get my mirror worked out. Buddy. I'm, gonna... <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking at one right here as I was saying that, too. I'm just – Fantastic. Yeah. Got nothing on you, boy. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, – um. For the sake of uh, trying to utilize daylight, um, I think we should all have a round to go. Do you have any more uh, articles, Indy? Yeah, I got a couple more articles over here. All right, sweet. So let's 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 uh, hit, hit hit us with an Artie. I'll hit an uh, Artie, and then Bird Dog hits with a close Artie. All right. Now this uh, this is kind of an extract that I took from some articles and some of the talk from uh, Tess Clark. What's up, y'all? 81 um the Berkman what's up brother universe what's happening brother we got another guy here in live what's happening brother Welcome what's up uh i got something i can add to, to what you guys were just talking about about um all this yeah. old tech and batteries and stuff something that i've been finding um walking the beach um here in washington state i've been finding like i'm just looking for cool rocks quartz and jade and different things up here but i'm finding these pieces of brick i've been finding like all these just like uh different Whoa. interesting pieces of brick and i've been looking at the composition of them under micros under the microscope that i got and they're just like quartz crystals are like spread throughout the entire thing like they do not seem like normal uh like how i would imagine if you just go to home depot and bought some red bricks right now and just kind of synchronistically um i was listening to some two shows a couple days ago um one i think was uh like eddie bravo or something like that and he was talking about how bricks were conductive and i was kind of like mm -hmm. that's kind of what i was getting a feeling for with the corner this quartz matrix thinking of like piezoelectricity and then i was just watching a new uh, john levi this morning and like i know he, he, some people don't like him or whatever but he has some interesting stuff on there and he showed this brick pipe. i love john and, and uh yeah man he he's got some great stuff i think and like i think i thought they might be like terracotta pots but like looking at this piece under this microscope like i got some pictures i don't know if i can share my screen somehow um but uh like yeah. it, it's it's pretty crazy that uh this seems like that I think these bricks were batteries and that it just the, the construction of these buildings, they could pull energy and then store it equally as well, just by how they're made. And I think using sacred geometry to um, do uh, different. Yeah. there, I, I think there's, there's something to that. I don't know. Like I do some stuff with copper. So maybe uh, sticking some wires to it or whatever, see, see what happens. Uh, 
but somehow you can get energy into them and get it out of it. Um, and I'm going to keep, keep going with that. That's cool. Yeah. That, that's amazing. It says here, uh, like to house a battery or something. Yeah. It's like your entire house becomes like, just like the store of energy. And, uh, we, yeah, we definitely, we're not as advanced as they like to tell us we are. That's yeah, that's that geopolymer I, I talk about a lot. There's like literal geopolymers that um, you can build, construct your house and put your whole land in and your whole foundation. And um, it's wild. It's not even that complex. It's wild because it's not even that like super secret. You can just get mm. the right little mix ingredients, make your bricks, make your stones. And yeah. It yeah. doesn't want to do some experiments, even trying to like making my own brick where just like buying the bulk quartz, like smashing it into little pieces, mixing it up in the in the mix and then trying different shapes out of it. Make a dome or a pyramid or like uh, something. Down here Cali, dude, like you'll get truckloads uh, of quartz. Yeah, yeah, just like just get tons of quartz and uh, very like an earth pipe or some kind of like organite kind of device, some copper rod in there, <laughs> just seeing if I yeah, light, light bulb or like a... the fa the father of um of oh god we were organite uh Wilhelm Reich, you know, he was one of the last people to like get up and like do that. You know, him and Tesla were actually creating devices. Granted, they both were basically hijacked by the government at some point or in Wilhelm Reich's case, he was sued heavily um, for creating these huge cannons that he called cloud busters. But, you know, we don't do that anymore. And, you know, the world's fairs where they were having technology, you know, highlights and everything. People were making things at one point. And so I highly promote that you do that, brother. I hope that you do. And then fucking come and share all your sweet experiences. Maybe you can, uh, zap yourself over here through a mirror portal who knows uh but indy brother you want to go with that article that you're about to share yeah what were we saying uh wilhelm reich was making wilhelm reich was a, a beautiful inventor i mean you know he basically was the father of organite um and he founded the term orgone energy which is like this cell wall or this energy wall that exist over cells that he calls the orgone layer and he was kind of like the white magic side of uh sex magic um because <laughs> mm -hmm. you know he he connected it also to the orgasm and orgone energy itself enhances mm -hmm. uh the orgasm and so he had some devices he had boxes people would sit in he made cloud busters um which was basically like getting resin crushing up quartz and metal filings and putting them and stacking them in certain ways. That's, that's what his version of organite was, which is like pretty rudimentary exper experiment that you can make at home. Like you can do that. I, and um, I I've had Mitch the organ donor on the show before. And afterwards he, I was lucky enough for him to send me a big old box of this stuff. And I put them all around the farm and I mean, the plants love it, dude. My fuck the, <laughs> They're busting out of their seams, man. I'm trying to tie all the plants together so they don't fall over. But um, it's good to go. But Wilhelm Reich is the shit. Um, and yeah, like because he was creating free energy, he was creating like an, uh, a generator as well. You know, the government was just like, hey, bud. Um, so 
uh-uh, you know, and then he went to court with them and very interesting character, man. I, I think he was very underlooked um, for the 20th. He was like the late 19th, early 20th century. Dude, that fucking time period is one of my favorites, okay? From yeah. 1850 until the Great Depression, basically all the way through World War II, massive occult awakening. There was so much esoteric literature being pumped the fuck out with Madame Plavatsky, uh, Manly P. Hall, P.B. Randolph, Wilhelm, like all these guys, there was so much esoteric literature just being fucking just pop, 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 pop. And so I have a theory that the Great Depression and the World Wars were a reset. Obviously, I think we can all kind of agree that there was a one world reset agenda that we're actually still yeah, seeing unfold 100%. from the hundred year ago situation. But I think it's because the Gnosis was becoming too vast and large. And, you know, in the Tartaria and mud flood paradigm, there's a lot of people, especially early on when the conspiracy came out, because it's a, I've, I think we've all watched the Tartaria mud flood conspiracy wave from like five years ago to where you're just like, you ever heard of the mud flood? And people are like, no. And you're like, now everybody's like, you know, fucking covered in mud because everybody's heard about the mud flood. And so there's all the things. Um, but one of the early things was like, you know, there were like a lot of people were saying that history before 1850 was like nothing. Like they just basically reseeded populations at 1850 in these, these cities. And that's why you see, you know, San Francisco and yep. uh, so on and so forth, which like, you know, for me, like I study and read a lot of history shit from the 16th century in the 17th century and so i'm like ah, i don't know about that i'm pretty sure there's a lot a lot i mean you would have to literally be pumping out so much literature to be able to fake all of that so i don't believe that but that being said dude they did a lot I of fakery think, bro i well i think i think you're you're right you're right just like right greek stories and mythologies right half of them are just they're just paradigm names they're names that are filling a void for a story that needs to be told in order to fill whatever sort of narrative absolutely but there are really interesting characters that you can follow and have all these because here's the other thing a lot of people were writing fucking books back in the day we don't write enough books either we don't create shit we ain't out here writing no damn books all right we need to get on our game everybody we need to step it up we are the future let's go all right now i'm speaking highly for myself my lazy ass needs to get off and actually start engrave in stone shit. don't <laughs> write on paper engrave it in stone so that it'll last dude you got like people like hemingway that i think were just merely authors to push the narrative i think hemingway and all the like college literature celebrities that are pushed have done are I'm sorry, bro. I can't see that, man. Arthur C. Clarke. Oh, yeah. That's one that stands out. RCC. He definitely wasn't putting out the narrative. That guy was wild. Yeah. There's some of them well, that to make it through the filters. Who knows how. <laughs> but you got the that guy. Book Huxley who did some of that, too. But, you know, the the famous ones in the mainstream, like, like the Mark Twains and the um, Hemingways, etc., um, I believe they were really commissioned to be authors, quote unquote, real authors on the street. And I don't, I think they were pushing that narrative. 
in my opinion. Yeah, I got with, theory. You know, Romy, uh, I got theories too, and I'm right with you on the on your theories, man. Our theories <laughs> align. I think from the 1500s up until you know, like you're saying, the Great Depression. I think it was all takeover, take out the aristocrats, take out everything. Push, 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 and then in the eight, uh, 1850 on was like, all right, now let's consolidate. Let's complete our book burning, get our own authors in 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 in, um, in circulation, our own publishers. Indoctrinate have, people at world's fairs. Indoctrinate people because you got to look at the publishers too. When did these publishers start? Penguin, etc. Same thing, and your stuff doesn't. But yes, there's some people that get pushed through the um, that slip through the cracks. And let's just say they're not very popular. They're not, they're not taught in, like, um, academia, so to speak. You have to really search them out. Absolutely. Now, uh, you guys were talking about uh, this electricity and, like, crazy uh, kind of alchemical processes that have been lost in time. Uh, there's a guy that does this thing called the Hutchinson effect. I don't know if you guys have ever come across that before. But the Hutchinson effect, um, he'll, he'll turn on these, uh, these frequencies and things will just start to melt and like fly around and float and whatever's going on with the Hutchinson effect. I think he's tapped into something there. That's kind of one of the lost technologies of electricity that we can use to dramatically alter things. I feel like whatever's going on with the Hutchinson effect could be involved with something they're using for these uh, flying saucers because um, it's just unbelievable. Some of the stuff he can do, he'll make things that are like absolutely massive float around and fly across the room. Hmm. But you guys should definitely check out the Hutchinson if you get a chance. The Hutchinson effect. For sure. But yeah, the narrative has definitely um, pushed a lot of this stuff down. But it's all coming back up, man. This is a golden age of information and they can't stop it, you know? Mm -hmm. So that's a beautiful thing. Now I'm going to go into a a little article that I'm putting together here about uh, the transient luminous events uh, of the upper atmosphere, uh, where we have red and blue lightning that's been coming up from the clouds while the white lightning comes down from the clouds. We also have processes called sprites, blue jets and blue starters kind of start up the lightning bolts that come up from the clouds and then turns into red lightning from the blue jets uh, that sometimes leave a green ghost and then will uh, expand into what's called an elf. That's way up in the higher upper atmosphere where it kind of spreads out like a plasma. Now, this guy, Andrew Collins from Megalithomania, he talks about plasmoids. And he thinks that uh, a lot of UFO sightings might be tied to plasmoids, which seem to be active around uh, quartz um, mountainsides, places that have mm. a lot of minerals and quartz. Oh, man. Yeah. Another, homie. Whoa. Beautiful. Um, but, yeah... Um, when you got lightning storms going on and you get a good vantage point, you can go out and you can see this red lightning going up from the clouds. It's just amazing. Now, I want to talk about uh, what's called the electric universe. Let me bring this up right here. Now, the Berkeley currents of the electric universe uh, represent the fields um and bands on which the uh, the planets rotate. Now they have a certain voltage to them, and like the sun has a certain voltage, other stars have their own voltage. Those are part of the Birkeland currents. 
Now, there's a there's a there's a myth called the Saturn myth that I want to touch on, where some people think that the Earth used to rotate around uh, like a brown dwarf star or a red dwarf star, which was either Jupiter or Saturn uh, before those stars collapsed, uh, which could explain a lot of things. Um, now, the concentric circles of different voltages of the electromagnetism led to the gas giants, which used to be red and brown dwarf stars, that went nova. Hmm. Um, and this is something that I'm getting from uh, Tess Clark. I was talking about Velikovsky. And there's another guy um, that wrote about the Saturn myth theory, too. I think his name is Dalton. Um, now, after those stars collapsed, we fell out of orbit and came into the orbit around our current sun, Helios, which made the pressure increase in our atmosphere, uh, causing the large dinosaurs and insects previously in our world not to be able to um, keep that massive size. Now, if we have like an insect the size of the ancient insects that we used to have where dragonflies were like the size of a car, their exoskeleton would implode because the pressure is much higher than it was then for some reason. So if we were um, further out in orbit and orbiting around Saturn or possibly orbiting around Saturn or Jupiter and we hadn't been captured up by the sun, that would explain uh, less gravity and a lower pressure system in our mm -hmm. atmosphere. Mm -hmm. um, let's see. Um, it's a good chance that when we, when uh, Saturn or Jupiter went nova, I mean, caught into the field of our current sun, that it caused a massive cataclysm, uh, possibly the Jurassic um, extinction event, which was caused by a meteor impact in the Chicxulub crater off of the Yucatan Peninsula. Um, that would have caused uh, massive upheaval in our atmosphere and blocked out the sun and possibly created huge floods especially in that region. Um, now, this could have happened uh, much later. Some people believe that this is something that happened um, while humanity was on the face of the earth. And so they say that like we used to have bigger eyes during this time because the light was much more dim and we were giants. And then after this happened, the people developed a much smaller stature and smaller eyes that the UV radiation caused plants to change their pigments from purple and red into more of a green pigment. And the chlorophyll is kind of a stress reactive coping mechanisms they use in, in, in UV radiation that's too high. And what's something that's interesting they say about this myth is that during the time when we orbited around Saturn or Jupiter, there was a lot more infrared light and there was a lot less UV, allowing us to not really ever age. We lived to like ridiculous longevity. Um, which right. seems to be uh, really fast and like this is like, like that, I think. But. Yeah, absolutely. We we uh, we started to age a lot faster, like after the so-called flood. Now, before the flood, people lived up to like nine hundred years old on average, and we never really come to a good understanding of why. They say that's because we used to live off of seeds, nuts, um, vegetables, and fruits. Um, before that time, and we only ate meat, dairy, and grains in famine times. But I don't think that would account for being able to live 900 years old. That seems a bit dramatic. I don't know, but this could definitely explain <laughs> it. 
Um, so the world used to thrive in the dim light and infrared light was more enriched to the plants. Uh, the people did not age. The plants used to other pigments uh, that would have greater nutrient value than chlorophyll and more, um, more uh, polyphenols, which are good to clear our system of uh, toxins and stuff. Now, uh, those protective pigments against the UV radiation like we have now in our sun orbit, making people age more and have smaller eyes and statures. Um, so this is a really fascinating um, myth, the, uh, the Saturn myth. Now I have the name of this author, uh, Dalton, over my desk. Let me grab that real quick. Dalton. Dalton. Yeah. Belikovsky was one of the uh, individuals that kind of talks about this Saturn myth, but I think there's uh, there's this book by David Talbot. I think the book's called The Saturn Myth, and he goes into this uh, this mm -hmm. theory. He's part of the uh, uh, Electric Universe uh, Thunderbolts project, right? Him and Walt Thornhill? Yeah. yeah. So oh, that's shit, we got a someone else joining in? Fucking Mark from my family thinks I'm crazy. Oh, my hey. dear sweet Lord. Popping Hello. in at two and a half hour, Mark. <laughs> oh, am I, am I late? You're right. You're right. You're right. You're right. Can you yeah. hear me? <laughs> yeah, man. Um, yo, what up? Uh, we're just about to go into uh, some David Talbot here. Now, I, really interesting. Um, these transient luminous events like this uh, space lightning and stuff um, and the Berkeley currents kind of uh, connect and correlate with uh, some of the people that have been talking about um, the arcing of like something like the rainbow bridge that they mentioned in ancient mythology, the arcing electrical currents in a uh, higher prominence of lightning that could have existed in ancient times, which some people might uh, believe that they might've used to melt stone and create like mm. mortarless uh, polygonal uh, masonry by channeling some of this electricity in the atmosphere to melt the stone into molten form and pour it into like, these molds. Um, I could, but, I could dig that. I mean, that would be some master geomancy, right? Like studying yeah. the, uh, studying the electric currents in the atmosphere, channeling it to <laughs> forge giant amounts of, of constituents to make your shapes on a massive level. It's like, Hey boys, we could spend all day melting the shit in a pot or I got a better idea. Hold on. I'll be right back. Goes out <laughs> like bigs a huge trench and then this fucking massive, just big old daddy lightning bolt just coming down. Vulcan himself just seen. See, I, I love it. I love the rainbow bridge and like electricity connection because you sent me those videos of the sprites, uh, the, the red and blue sprites, dude. And it's mind blowing, dude incredible man and i feel like that's becoming more prevalent now there might be cycles where that kind of fades away and then it comes back around we've always seen the aurora borealis but now we have all this different stuff going on and if that's going to become more prominent um it could be that that stuff gets to be like and it will where the earth becomes almost uninhabitable 
from no the... my brother I, I have my own theories <laughs> yeah um based on what you just said um the old age and all the you know um we live older and bigger and everything's like more prominent I, yeah. I feel that we are going through that change now where we do um, increase in our age with the sh like you can measure it with the Schumann resonance, right? Yeah. You can literally measure it with human. This is not goofy talk. You can take human made instruments and measure the Schumann resonance is increasing. It so when you raise the frequency of the ground that we walk on, this realm is actually the um, frequency is increasing, which could bring on um, that uh, longer age, et cetera. Um, and I feel like the there is that suppression of those Saturnist, aka Kronos uh, worshippers, where they wish they wanted to not allow this to happen to the um, the the regular people, the ones that they see as their subjects. So they want to dampen our frequency. It's kind of like how a lot of illnesses came around that didn't exist when they invented um, radio towers. Yeah. So yeah. I feel they're doing their best. They're doing their best, right, to suppress this. And, of course, there's people like us that go, you can't suppress us. We, we are grounding with the frequency. We're receiving the sun. The sun has changed colors. I don't know. When I was a kid, it was way more uh, like a yellow oak type, like an egg. Now it's a little whiter. Um, so I feel like we're going through one of those changes, my friend, where the frequency is rising. Um, and I yeah, don't know what's going to happen. We've been but... out for like the last like week or whatever. It was like blacked out and like nobody knew, knows really why it happened. Uh, it was kind of interesting or either maybe they're upgrading stuff, but like that would be an easy answer. Winter. Up where you're at, the sun was blacked out up in Washington? No, no, I'm talking about the Schumann resonance, like the whatever the oh place that records those readings. It's like they, they was like blacked out for multiple days where there's just nothing and no real explanation. Yeah. Dude, it. and even the Russian huh. one, I used I used the one in Siberia, right, um, right? That one, and yeah, it's blacked out. Not the Schumann resonance is in blacked out. It's right, like right. Very, the sharing. Oh, that's what I'm saying. Oh, yeah. Okay. I get that. Yeah, the Schumann resonance has been building, and I could see why they would be hiding it if it just shot up really high all of a sudden. And mm -hmm. it's correlated with like the spiritual awakening, getting like, you know, big leaps happening when people are opening their minds more than ever. And if they make those connections, they're going to start to see that pattern and realize this great awakening is really happening on like a cosmic level. It's not just in our minds and in our hearts, it's also in the, in the universe, in our solar system. You right. can't deny it, but um, let me ask you a, you guys a question because I talk with my people um, on this, and we are a very small minority. Um, mm -hmm. Many want to hold on to the old ways. Um, you have the quickening of time, which is completely apparent. I don't need a book. I don't need to hear from anyone. I just know what's happening. And then I find out about the Schumann resonance. I'm like, okay, well, this is literally resonating with my own kind of um, – perception in my you know i feel that we are an incredibly small minority those that are recognizing this and then i had conversations recently um that there are quote unquote, you, you know you hear the term old souls meaning this is those that are feeling the change now um may have it's their time 
quote unquote, to they've been here for a while. So maybe we've been here for a while. Those that are um, ex, um, receive, uh, resonating with this type of uh, vibe, freak, info, et cetera. You know, so others that ignore it, guys, you go, you know, people that ignore it, your friends and your family, because they all think we're crazy. And I go, <laughs> you don't feel, you don't feel anything different. Forget and they go, no, everything's the same. I'm going, and you know what's the problem is they're going to hold on. They go, nothing's changed. Just everything's the same. I'm got you know. And unfortunately, they're they're going against that current. So I feel like we're a minority. <laughs> I feel like we're a minority, guys. What do you think about that? As far as us being like a minority, you know, in that recognizing that there's something to that. Like I know that on June 29th, I think it was last year, possibly. Oh no, 2020 study. Uh, was the record for the shortest day in modern history. So does that mean that like the Earth's rotation is speeding up? Like what does that mean? We got the shortest day on record on June 29th. I believe it was 2020. Seems like the days are getting shorter Mm. physically. And we've measured it. Oh, yeah. 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 (laughs) Time speeding up. And Romy, you know the sinks. And uh, why why would we mention this, I think, why would time consistently stay on a non, you know, why would it, why would it, why would it be different? I mean, you know, I, I feel like the way to really judge time uh, is by your own observations. You know, it's like the clocks are, are always going to change. You know, we're just hooked on digital clocks now and you, you have to just literally try to document and observe as much of the reality as you can and the moon is always the most consistent one for me. The moon works on a seven-day rotation. It goes through its quarterly changes every single seven days. And the more I've started paying attention to the moon and its movements, the more I think I get affected by its energy. And I'm not sure if that's some like strange placebo effect. But um, <laughs> nah, I, man, it's I, real. I definitely think that time in the moon, you know, time in Saturn, if that's the real sun, who knows? But But absolutely, brother, that's that's all i had to say on that please continue absolutely no june 29th actually was uh 2022 this year that was the shortest day on record for like hundreds but you years. guys know like I, oh. by the way my clock is also by the moon nowadays i have no i, I know the moon phases i don't know what the date of the gregorian calendar but if you the sinks now are happening instantaneously right <laughs> You guys, we're talking about stuff. We're going to get sinks tomorrow in 24 hours. When in um, pre-2019 mm-hmm. for, you know, a couple decades, they were like the sinks would be months or years apart. Now I'm literally like going, dude, I got a sink and it's getting confirmed within like minutes or hours or merely a couple days. That to me tells me time is speeding up. My internal perception of time Absolutely. Uh, is interesting that you mentioned the moon too there's like about you know 28 days in the moon cycle and so that would make 13 months in a year uh with one day extra and uh the mayan calendar seems to follow the 28 day 13 month or month calendar and uh record of time do you know about the day out of time the what the day out of time that's every july 25th mayan calendar skips counting a day so it's the day outside of time. It's it's what you're talking about with one extra day that keeps yep. the rhythm, so it doesn't like you know spin out of rhythm. Uh, but yeah, uh, twenty eight um, days 
uh, times 13 mm -hmm. up to 364, and then you got that extra day. But then on the leap years, you got to have a, a second extra day. But think about 725, too. That's also two sevens. Two plus five equals seven, 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 25. So there's certain uh, magic to that, I think. Jose Arguelles writes uh, a lot about that uh, past author. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. Passed away, I should say. Mm -hmm. But yeah, he Is writes a bunch of... The other token calendar, the uh, 725 day periods or something? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that matrix is amazing. The Mayan astrology is like right on. It's it's so it's particular to the day, not just the month. Right, and it's like not there's only one. There's only one group that that dates mm -hmm. the thing by the mm -hmm. sun. Every single um, outfit prior to I'll just call it the Vatican, just because that's where they um, um, collaborate, so to speak. Uh, every other is every other timing is based on the moon. It's just the Chrono Saturn. Uh, um, death cult that follows the sun and they also probably follow the moon they just they, that's what they do in the back the back side the back end you know yeah but every calendar is moon every culture because it's the perfect timepiece. i can tell you exactly when to meet me meet me at the next phase of however many however many days i can't do that tell you that with the sun so there's only one outfit and those are the you know, the guys, uh, the people that have kind of taken over time, they've taken over time and they are worshipers of Kronos, you know, they, Saturn, Kronos, same thing. The calendar of the Jews, if they actually add a month, sometimes it's a lunar calendar that the Jews still keep. And, uh, it always has been in like, they'll add a month every once in a while. I guess the, uh, the head rabbis just decide like around Easter time or something like, do we need an extra month this year? Yeah, we're going to do 13 months this year. Sometimes they do that, which is so weird. But they've always had lunar calendars before the solar calendar, which makes you wonder, why did that happen? And why didn't they have a solar calendar before that? Um, but this, the I, think moon, I, I think they have two. One for, the, one for the chattel or whatever you want to call you know, us. And then one for themselves, the real one. Because the one that runs in the daytime is literally like the commerce one. Like you do like business on that. Um, and I think they also keep a side one for themselves, the real one. I think they have two, bro. And yeah, they mm -hmm. just still do the moon. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, the there might even be more. I mean, you think about all the luminaries that there are to worship, and there's these different energies that you get to um, hold different celestial accountabilities with all these things. So there's probably, you know, there's probably 10, you know, like one through each number, each geometric shape, like each one holds its own Kabaic type of energy that, that you get to kind of tap into. That's that's what's cool about the, you know, the 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 ge geometry and the math, math, the mathematics and having that like I think 10. 10 ciphers, 10 sacred sciences, even though seven, I think there's three extra super secret sciences and then there's the 10 also 10 shapes and then you start can just start frack that point from from above that something along those lines um i mean just the super basics i mentioned to people just the super basics i mentioned to people on like september sept right octa november deca december i'm like dude 
it's they're not the right names for the right numbers of the month. <laughs> this is just in your face. This is just basic stuff, and no one ever thinks about it. I'll say that, and they just write it right off, like whatever. Like Septa Seven. It's the ninth month. Like this is. They fucked with it. The, excuse my language. They they mess with the Gregorian calendar, the Pope Gregor. And it's like, how do you not see that? But no one even thinks about it. So it's all about the moon, man. It's all about the moon. Man, here's a story from ancient Egypt. There we go. Where Thoth bets with the moon on 172nd of its light and earns 360 divided by 72, which is five, because... During this time, there was 360 days in the Egyptian calendar, and he um, ended up getting five days added to the calendar by betting with the moon that uh, whether hit whether Nut could bear children. Because Nut wasn't allowed to bear children. Newt or Nut was not allowed to bear children. And so he went to play this ancient chess game with the moon and waged 172nd of its light as a bet. And if he lost the bet, she would never be allowed to bear children. But when he won that bet and he beat him in the game, she was able to she was able to bear children, and then they got an extra five days added to their calendar. Now, dude, Mark what just a mentioned blessing. seventy-two. He Mark just mentioned seventy-two and five. You just what mentioned blessing, seventy-two blessing, and blessing, five. Blessing, blessing. Yeah, he he put those together as seventy-seven. You put those together as seventy-two. And then five. He literally just mentioned that a few minutes ago. Am I crazy? Yes, my family thinks so. No, sure. you're right on, bird dog. Damn. <laughs> seven, 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 seven. The uh, three sixty plus seventy two makes four hundred thirty two, which I mentioned earlier, which is a sacred harmonic number. Seventy two. Um, harmony, 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 harmony. Three sixty one eighty. All the uh, aspects of it reduces to twelve as being like kind of the source of that that number system. Um, but five is another amazing number. Now I've been working on a six-based number system, and when you use a six-based number system, five is the magic number instead of nine. And all the primes stack in two columns, and they've never been able to figure out a pattern of the prime numbers. Hmm. Find the pattern. You use a six-based number system instead of a ten-based number system. All of the prime numbers fall under one and five. I believe. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Well, and that's there. There's a huge significance to to that six number system, um, to certain specific esoteric readings that I've read before, but I didn't fully grasp onto it because I'm used to septenary or the the Pythagorean ten. You know, so. But there's there, something yeah. to the six, and I, I yeah, like the the, dark, the star David and um, some interpretations of the Merkabah and stuff. So that's pretty interesting, brother. Yeah, Plus I that does it, two 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 pillars too. So that, that is interesting, eh? Yeah. Am I am I picturing that right? Where like it goes up to five and then back down from six to eight, which is infinity. Like there's those, some of those concepts. It kind of goes. Like five is like the peak of that kind of sort of um, gematria, depending on what cipher. Yeah, and five is considered to be an angel number, whereas six can be considered to be a demon number or a devil number, or the beast number, like six six six. But they're trying to hide six and demonize and obfuscate six as something bad because there's a lot of power to six. But you know how, like in in our number system, a base ten, uh, anything that's multiplied by nine 
you add those numbers together, it comes back to nine in Dramatria. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's when, the, yeah, the nine phenomena. Yeah. When you have a six base number system, you multiply anything by five, the numbers come back to five in Dramatria and becomes the magic number in a six base number system. So I feel like in the six base number system, everything makes way more sense. Now, six has the same number of factors as 10, two factors. It's got three and two instead of five. Oh. And two. But like we have, but 12, if we were to use 12, 12 has four different factors, which is why we use it for time. It's so much easier to divide 12. Like a third of 12 is just four. Whereas a third of 10 is like the, the imaginable number 3.3 repeating for infinity, which can't exist. We have to abbreviate it. But Does that have to do with like the square and the circle almost like with the four? Yes. Importance while the sphere and then you put those two together because that's in, it's interesting i'm like trying to figure out the six and okay all right all right because a lot of these shapes man you take the take the number and you got to take it fractalize it out and put it into motion it's like okay pick up the two you know you put it into its gravitational field and watch what it, what it spins like and that creates like you take the ge geometry right the two-dimensional written on paper and to pick it up and imagine it spinning and moving and creating its vortex field. And every single shape has that energy. And that's how, that's what I think these antiquated artists and, and our ancestors really were, were doing with those old alchemical texts and, and artworks and pieces where they were like, they were so good at taking that, that 5D, 3D, shape putting it down into 2d but being able to see it almost in the atmosphere just you know like look look at some of these uh and you guys keep talking but i'm just going to share some photos in the background cool and uh the closest approximation to pi is the fraction 22 over 7. so we keep seeing seven coming up and seven's definitely got some magical properties but six I believe is a very powerful number. Um, and you got three, six and nine, the Tesla numbers, which are something that they're trying to hide for us to use free electricity. So that's something that's huge. They've been trying to push under the rug. But um, as far as squaring the circle, I would think that when you establish a unit as one, that one should be the circle because the circle is one It's one line one continuous line and as they've broken us down into the war on consciousness they've changed the circle as being one in unity or whole and changed the side of a, of a square to be one and that's when you get the circle equating to pi but if you were to reverse that and make the circle be one a side of a square would be um, one over pi, I believe. But you could have the reciprocal pi where the circle is one. But there's a lot to uh, squaring the circle. I've, I've come across some things lately that uh, blew my mind. I just can't um, can't place them right now off the top of my head. But squaring the circle, there's definitely so some symbolic stuff in there that's got a deeper message. Oh, absolutely. And some of the original cathedral blueprint style 
Um, and you know, it's the shape of a cross or really it's the shape of a body. And so you see the limbs here, right? You see the heart chakra generally where a rotunda or a spire is going to be. But then you go right up here and this, this is the blueprint for a floor plan of a building mm. or is it because is that your plan right here? Altar is the rose windows. The entrance here shines in here. These are the limbs where you have the East and West windows. Then you have the sun that shines in from the root chakra all the way to the chakra, illuminating the altar, the worship space, projectiling out and the heart chakras here with the toroid. So it's like if you have this body that's like a cube shape or what have you, then our toroid that shoots in the magnetic field outside of that is squaring or kind of it's a little bit of a stretch. But, you, you know, you guys kind of see what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. It seems like it makes either energy, seems like, or something like somehow able and, to. And then they would take that and stand it up. And then look at that. You have it again. You have the crown where your crown of your head is right here. Look at that. Boop. <laughs> oh, uh, I just did like a goofy laugh, like extremely good. <laughs> Anyways, yeah. uh, but that's the kind of shit that are that this is what aggravates me for being sprug you know about the the magic of math and the magic of shape astronomy g you know like why why was this why is this not the most embellished thing that we need to understand as a community in my opinion it might be one of the strongest things i've been holy shit that's thunder do you guys hear that yeah you go out and find some of those sprites and stuff man Blue did jets. you guys see dude this is so i'm just gonna powerful right, powerful we're gonna have we're gonna have to wrap up at three hours which is in 15 minutes so you guys just do all the things because i do have to make sure because my fucking beautiful cannabis plants are in flower right now and so they're they're so heavy that they're falling over with the rain it's been non-stop rain since 1 a.m last night monsoon okay. fucking rain and thunder and lightning baby so Shit's about to get fucking lit. Let's go. How are we on my ball? Yeah, boy. Romy, Romy. <laughs> Yo, dude. <laughs> when, you, when you speak and lightning cracks in the background, uh, yeah, that's um, enough confirmation for me. <laughs> <laughs> you guys ever seen the movie Powder? Yeah, I love that movie, man. I'm f I'm finna be powdered tonight, boys. Just you wait. Get <laughs> I'm down. I'm down. Oh, but please, please, uh, Indy, wrap it up, my brother. You got it, brother. All right, we'll go on some uh, some interesting stuff in the next 15 minutes. We're gonna continue with this energy talk and some mathematics, sacred mathematics. Now, um, I've been working on squaring the circle for a number of years. And there's definitely some mysteries involved in that. The number 12 is definitely uh, an indication of some ancient lost mathematics. Now, the way the Sumers used to count, they would count each of these little nubs of their fingers here. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. Twelve nubs of the finger. Then they would raise a thumb. They would do that five times, and it would create the number 60. So that was our old way of counting that's been lost through time. Mm -hmm. And by supplanting the 
the 10 base number system, they've kind of dumbed us down. Mm -hmm. This 10 really can't do much with the 10 base number system. It's kind of a nonsensical number system. And they say, oh, you know, we got 10 digits. You can count on your hands. One, two, three, four, five. But you can also count to 12 or 60 with your fingers, which is a way more powerful number system. And the fact that it made it through into our chronology and uh, keeping track of time, which is associated with Saturn, seems a bit mysterious. Why was 12 allowed to make it through the filter and let us know about that when they've been trying to hide it for so long? But 12 is also used in a lot of things. Like you have the 12 disciples, the 12 months, the 12 hours in a day. The 12 hours, they say, comes in astrotheology from Horus, who walked across the sky in 12 steps. And so you have 12 steps that he walked across the sky in day and 12 steps that he walks across the sky at night. So that's fascinating that... Um, 12 has always been associated with time and it brings us back to Saturn which is associated with the number 7 mm -hmm. like week um what's about yeah, 7 7 12 and then the you got I guess you got the 5 day work week but it's like 7 and 12 exactly and then now that's all the music in music you have you have seven notes and five sharps Mm -hmm. which makes the chromatics, 12. which has 12 <laughs> notes. So that's all tied in. There's definitely some secrets involved in that. Having to do with squaring the circle and, and stuff like that, where there's definitely some esoteric knowledge that we could really get out of that. If we, if somebody were to really dive deep into this and figure it out, there's a lot of messages involved in the secret mathematics that have been hidden from us. But I was looking back at this, uh, the shortest day. And apparently um, during like 70 million years ago, a single day on Earth lasted about 23 and a half hours. So since 70 million years ago, a day has gone up by a half hour. But <laughs> not is, much. <laughs> is that like, you know, is that going to be like a constant increase? Like in uniformity that they've been using in science, they just assume things to be like level and flat all the time. The things mm -hmm. never really change. We're starting to find there's more cycles in nature in parabolas in waves that ebb and flow through time. So we have yeah, to wonder. Sine waves definitely seen a lot. No, I mean, pretty much everything that kind of sine wave. Uh, and what is that associated with? Now, I've, I've found that... Uh, through studying astrotheology, we know that the precession of the equinoxes is associated with around uh, 24,000 years. But there also seems to be another cycle of 24,000 years associated with our orbit in relation to the planets, to the star Sirius, the star system Sirius, which has Sirius A and B, the Dogons having reference to Sirius C which we still have not discovered. And there might be something to that. But the rotation that we have in relation to Sirius seems to be correlated with the Golden Age and then the fall back into the Dark Age. When we're furthest from Sirius is the point at which we've reached the, uh, the highest intensity of the Dark Age. When we come closer to Sirius, we reach into the highest Sirius Black. Golden Age. And Sirius actually just changed color from red 
to blue um, a few hundred years ago, which suggests that we were receding away from Sirius up until mm. Don's period, at which point we started to now approach Sirius. And so there's these waves that happen where the Renaissance period happens and there's this mm-hmm. big um, peak of like wisdom and sacred knowledge coming Wait, back. Wait, what's the, what's the timeline on that? The chronology you said that it, that, that supposedly uh, passes through? Saturn turned blue uh, around the 1600s and it's a 24,000 year cycle that we, um, that we orbit in relation to Sirius. That's similar to the 24,000 year procession of equinoxes. So, but 24 can be broken down by four also, right? Divisible of that. So like, because I, I was, I'm wondering about the 400, like we were saying, like every 400 years, it seems to be like some Renaissance of sorts. Interesting. That's nuts. Yeah. And Is I there, know you about uh, yeah, go the ahead. canopy and stuff. And there's being like a certain period of the, of the Phoenix phenomenon. Mm-hmm. That could be another thing where there's a cycle, um, Maybe four years. They mentioned when you were talking about it before that it was like a 138 year cycle of the vapor um, canopy. But I think uh, Randall Carlson has mentioned it's more like a 400 year cycle where we see these natural cataclysms happening. For like the, the big one or something. I think it could be smaller or something. But um, yeah, yeah I, I, I think there could be something to that for sure. Now, 138 times three. Um, is something close to four. So that might be like a smaller cycle of the 400 year cycle. But there's it's a little bit of over. The 400 years when it comes to like wisdom coming and back. 30, 426. Um, okay. All right. All right. Yeah. That's definitely worth That's a lot to chew on there uh, with that. And yeah, I haven't looked too much deeper into the vapor canopy yet, unfortunately. Um, I need to do my do a little bit of uh, homage to that topic since it was brought up last week and now this week. And now I feel like a real big dumb old idiot. I'm so sorry. Sorry, guys, I let you down. I just wish I could do better. Oh, my Gator, God. It's okay, Gator. Gator, <laughs> it's okay, my friend. Oh, what am I going to do? Well, we got this. <laughs> Dude, I'm all about the 138, man. I, I, I think it makes a lot of sense. And then the bigger – and then, of course, within the larger cycle of – all the 138s adding together. Like, I think we're getting close to that. <laughs> you Absolutely. Know, I, and there's yeah. even cycles. Like, in the 60s and 70s, there was a lot of mind expansion and the increase of psychedelic use mm-hmm. in, uh, you know, people using those um, more prominently in culture. And then finding all this stuff, like Atlantis became prominent. Right? Mm-hmm. Like, uh, yeah, there's all these, like, revivals. Hermetic, the Hermetic revival in the 70s, too. Yeah. Now, when was Edgar Casey around? He was around a lot earlier. Like, was it in the twenties? Uh, yeah, he was like right in the very early of the twentieth century. So, if he was around like in like the early of the of the twentieth century, then sixty years later we had the sixties. Then sixty years later we're now. That looks like a sixty-year cycle the, right there. On the small scale like that, would I? Uh, there's this really great book called The Fourth Turning written by Neil Howe and some other dude. And it was written in like 95 and they had dug through history up until I think like, you know, just very early AD. Like they, they did about a thousand years of just like intense historical study 
on society itself and societal patterns. Mm -hmm. And they broke it down to uh, 20, like almost basically like 25 years, give or take, you know, like it was basically every cent. No shit. Okay. I'm butchering it, but <laughs> it's available on audible. If you guys have audible, it's, they kind of blew my mind. And, and this was a while ago when I did read it, but I was kind of, you know, just getting in, into the realm of understanding celestial cycles and time, you know, being, being cyclical and it having its, its rotational nature. That was, you know, but I haven't gone back into that book to get the exact numbers, but the concept sticks with me and, and, and then it, you know, gets vast and bigger on these other timelines, like what you're bringing up and, you know, the Mayan calendar and things like that. But there's, that's a good one for like, they broke it down. Uh, the fourth turning is a great book. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna get some more juice on that and share it on the Telegram or something. I'm gonna have to look into that too. That's really interesting. Now, um, I don't know. Have any of you guys heard of Telos over at Mount Shasta? No, dude. That's okay, like so that's three and a half hours away. Please tell me more. There's so much going on with, with Telos. Okay, now there's this guy. Tell us about was, Telos. Um, Lowell Johnson went to Telos, um, Telos and has this story, this uh, testimony of having gone to Telos. He went around. He was going to go for a week, but he was out in the wilderness off the paths trying to find these uh, energy fields, kind of like in Sedona, Arizona. You got these ley lines mm -hmm. and, you know, and a strong energy vortexes out there. He was trying to find an energy vortex. He ended up staying out in the, in the woods off the paths for five weeks instead of one. <laughs> he realized he's like he was in his 60s i guess he's in his 60s now and he started to realize after like a week like i never got tired i'm old now like normally if i was hiking all day i'd need a day in between for rest he's like i'm not even needing to rest out here there's something magical about these woods so he ventured on for another four weeks and at the end of the five weeks he felt something tap him on the shoulder he turned around and there was a tunnel that opened up out of nowhere where he just looked at. <laughs> and there was a giant tunnel with a light coming from down below. Going yes. into the cavernous hole. He mm. saw there was a humanoid at the bottom of the hole. Yes. And come down into the hole and said, Lowell Johnson, come down into here. We have a message for you. And they started telling him. They went by the name of his son and he said, oh, that's my son's name. He said, we know, we know about your son. We know about you. What ended up happening was that he ended up uh, communing with Adama, the high priest of Telos. And, wow. Um, Nikos, the librarian of Telos. And they told him that he is, he has a counterpart in Telos where the people are nine feet tall and wear all white robes. In a highly advanced technology, they asked him, do you want to see Telos? After they were talking to him about his son and how he's like been a chosen one because he is one of the Telosians who has been reincarnated on Earth on the surface to help bring awakening to mankind. And when they asked him if he wanted to see Telos, he said, yes, I want to see what, what is this light that's coming from behind you over here. They walked him up an embankment. And there was a glowing city under Mount Shasta that they showed. <laughs> now, I've heard testimony of a woman that was out in the lake outside of Mount Shasta. And she saw an amphibious humanoid in the water in the lake that came up to her and spoke to her telepathically. 
So I, I only laugh because I have been through Shasta many times. I'm, yeah. you know, West Coast born and bred. So there's a lot, a lot of story and lore. And um, nice. there's so much Californian belief and folklore around Mount Shasta being the home to the Lemurians that yeah. they basically say that the Lemurians live in literally inside of Mount Shasta. That's just like common folklore for out here. And so that story I've never heard specifically, and it's amazing. It sounds so what people do, just kind of the vibe around Shasta, if you drive through California and you're going through Mount Shasta, um, uh, Redding, which is right next to Shasta, and then you go up into Ashland, Oregon, all right there. It's <laughs> so even in Ashland, Oregon, they have these hot springs that are, they call them lithia springs. They're just natural sulfur springs. And that's all, you know, along these volcanic, um, the volcanic rift right there along the where the tectonic plates meet up. And in theory, you know, if you're going to go to the, the hollow earth anywhere in any entrances, it's going to be in volcanic hotspots. You know, that's just, oh, yeah. just where it's going to be and where heavy electromagnetic energy is. And then, you know, if sprites or energy, uh, any of these uh, elementals are able to transport through that frequency on the electromagnetic level, then at a volcanic hotspots is going to be one of those places. But I just want to say this really quick. Mount Shasta has this free water access. It's called the Shasta Headlands. And people bring their water jugs. I, I bring usually 15 to 20 gallons uh, of water. And you put up from, from this rock that's just and create a little creek. But it's coming literally out of the side of the mountain. And you water up. Everybody's there. There's like a basketball court. And it's like a park. And... And the water is so amazing. Now you hear about this all the time, the Ponce de Leon, the fountain of youth, you know, sulfuric waters, sulfur, and the, the rotten egg smell, but it's like incredible for you. Um, yeah, that's or these ancient Greek baths. Yes, go ahead. Lithia Spring down in Georgia comes from an under under earth ocean. Uh, Lithia Spring? Lithia Spring. Yep. And my that's one I just said in Ashland. It's in Ashland, Oregon, too. They call it Lithia Springs. That's interesting. Oh, wow. Maybe they connected to the same underground ocean. It's it's more than four miles deep. They couldn't get to the bottom of the under under earth ocean there. And it's got it's got nitrogen in there that will keep you young forever. But they try to send some to the queen. As soon as you take it out of the ground, the nitrogen starts to come out of the water and it loses its properties. But if you drink it directly, you know, it smells like sulfur. It will keep you young. Yo, baby. Oh my God. Let's. Get us some Have you heard of uh get you some some of that some of that water, man? That's lithium spring water is the best. Now, if uh, have you ever heard of JC Brown that explored Mount Shasta? Nope. Came across a wall at the base of the cliff, went inside and found ancient like Egyptian like artifacts with like golden axes and armor suits that were like seven what? to nine feet tall. What's yeah. this guy's name? J.C. Brown. J.C. Brown, Mount Shasta. And ancient technology, all gold. He went back, he covered up the hole, and he could never find it again. <laughs> Classic. J.C. Brown. That's Jesus Christ. The Brown <laughs> Jesus Christ. Yeah, they were gonna. he was going to bring a whole team out there to get the stuff out of the hole. And he got the whole team together. And... 
the night before they went on their expedition, he disappeared and was never seen again. Damn. Oh my goodness. I mean, okay. Time to find that hole. I, I just I just opened up some a bunch of pages on this. Apparently it's an entire thread rabbit hole that I'm gonna have to go down. Cause I, I love yeah. I love I love it. I totally believe it, man. Like let me tell you something. When you guys get the chance to come out here to Mendo, like I'm opening this up to anybody and everybody. You want to come to Mendocino, California by December 1st. I will fucking meet up. Let's cruise. Let's go to Shasta. Let's go to the coast, wherever. I'm here. It's fucking yeah. quartz. It's all quartz. It's just beautiful magnetic energy, and uh, it's crazy as fuck. Please come visit, y'all. Uh, absolutely. You get smoke some of this beautiful canvas. Hell let's yeah. do it. Sounds like a deal. <laughs> i'll hold you to it yeah there's a petroglyph that he saw and there's a picture of the cave opening that he had uh and there's a petroglyph that's that's that we could find on the side of a rock by a stream that can lead us to that opening it's not i don't think it's that hard to find but people i don't know what happens why people can't get out there maybe they're just not trying hard enough a lot of people it's like big. Oh, you, it's big dude Chasta's fucking Chasta's fucking huge though. It's like there's so many places to go camp, but the town of Shasta itself is and it's, it's just like Sedona. Um and ooh, what's the other one? Uh, Nevada City in California, which is another huge hippie rabbit hole. Uh yeah, those towns, man, like there's some hubs out here that are just the most funked out, tripped out. I love those towns and every every state has them. It's not just California, obviously. It's every state has these tripped out little towns like just like that are just always going to be the the UFO town, the paranormal town, the spiritualist town, dude. Like <laughs> shit is tight. I love it. Yeah, man. There's a town like that up in New Hampshire where I'm from. There's all these crystal mountains up there over at the gorge and the and uh Lincoln, New Hampshire. There's okay. This, I live in Connecticut. Yeah, this town up there where let's um, go. I think his name was Barney, and I can't think of his wife's name. Uh, got oh, abducted Barney and by Betty Hill, the first UFO abductees. Yes, Barney and Betty is what? it? Yeah, Barney and the Betty first? Hill. They're the first documented UFO abductees in American history. Damn! Wow! That she pulled off of it, that she brought back wow. with her in her purse. They lost time. And there's actually a gas station where they show the video and they got a huge like uh, mural of like aliens and a, and a flying saucer up on the side. <laughs> Roman. Four seven. Yo. Their video. I think we just found our next guest for Esoteric America, brother. You got to join us on that show. We'll do a Mount Shasta episode. We'll do a New Hampshire episode. <laughs> I'm going to New Hampshire hopefully this month. So you hit me with this info synchronistically. I love it. Oh, yeah, great. dude. Go see those Crystal Mountains, brother. That'd be tight. Yeah, Indy, dude. I mean, well, he lives in North Carolina. I mean, I, I think I did. Okay. Didn't we talk about that a little bit? If you, I mean, if you're if you're into it, brother, we would love to have you on. Yeah, you know. Uh, around and do some more adventures, man. I'm going to go some yeah. journeys. Yeah, yeah and shout too. out to Sneers Fox and Bird Dog, both of which have been on our, our show. So, yeah, it, it's a theme for this episode. <laughs> oh, you're the only one who hasn't been on it. So, we'd love yeah. to have you. Cool. I love it. Honor. And since you both are here, too, Sirius and Mark, uh, I have found some further updates for up in that area where you did your presentation for Seattle. So, I was talking to my friend, 
And she was like, yeah, I'm up in Washington right now. I'm like, what? Where? She's like, oh, I'm in the San, uh, the San Juan Islands, which are right you know, in the Puget Sound there. And she said that the local lore is that those islands themselves are rocks from the actual like foothills of Mexico. And that when the Pacific plate, because it gets like the big North American plate and the Pacific plate are huge tectonic plates. The North American plate is a tad bit higher and the Pacific plates lower. Then you have the Strait of Juan de Fuca plate, which is like compare like a small Frito chip compared to two big tortillas. And apparently the Pacific plate, and this is actually my theory and not apparently, but this is literally just the thought I had is that the Pacific plate actually spins like this. And that's why you kind of have the curving way of the Bering Strait and the way that Alaska kind of sits like that. And there's that one little tiny plate that's deeper than the Pacific Ocean and the North American plate in between these two big plates that has all this stuff. So I'm wondering if when the Pacific plate shifted and twisted, it basically that could have been when California was an island or whatever. And this tectonic activity moved it and scooped up some rocks, scooped up these because I don't I don't know. I actually haven't looked into the geolo- uh, the archaeological or geological history of that. I'm just going off what my friend told me and then the the thoughts that I had after that. But it's it's interesting. Well, Catalina Island could be a good indicator of that. They have like unique uh, wildlife out there in a totally unique ecosystem on Catalina Island. They also have mounds with uh, with giants, giant fossils out oh. there that would be seven to nine feet in Catalina Island as well. Catalina's a trip, dude, and that's why that's like secretive, like super high. You know, you gotta have you gotta have all the money to go there. You know, I hear that. If you really want to go, if you really want to go deep into, uh, there's probably some cavernous entrance, dude. Who knows? You never know. There's definitely (laughs) this book right here for people who might want to pick it up. uh, Talks all about the ancient catalina towards the end of the book um oh written a, a second book. who wrote that one this is by richard dewhurst um, du- but he says that there are blonde haired children of nine foot tall kings buried on catalina island wow that's the first Whoa. that's the title of the chapter <laughs> san francisco giants baby wow well Roman, I'm glad I jumped in for this slow burn. I got a jet. Time for dinner. Thank Me you so too, much. Man. Oh, it's been a pleasure chopping it up with you guys. I know you got to get to your plants soon, anyway. So, yeah, I know we could just keep going forever. Yeah, we should probably sign it off. Everybody, thank you, Mark, brother. Thank you for popping on. Appreciate you. Love you massively. Uh, everybody, do your final plugs, and then then we'll get on out of here. All right, you guys can check me out on Vibe Tribe Scribe. .wordpress.com is my blog. Uh, Indie Sage on Facebook. It's been great being with you guys today. Thank you guys for coming in and adding so much great wisdom to the talk. Thank you, Romy. Yeah. Much love, brother. Yeah, I just want to say this was an amazing conversation. You, everyone here, you all are all beautiful. I, I imagine if we everyone just unlocked their greatness. I'm among titans. Uh, thank you. Um, peace and harmony. Peace and harmony. <laughs> uh, thank you uh, for having me and the great talk. Uh, I felt like I had to pop in when you guys were talking about all the things that I've been just kind of 
put, putting together on my desk right here is like definitely synchronicity and uh glad to be here with all of you and all you in the in the audience there and uh yeah I'm definitely grateful um and i'll I'm around in the telegram group uh sears fox and in phonetically in runes is how might you might know, remember me but um some of my art and stuff that i make is on uh instagram uh, alchemist in the machine um all kinds of just kind of copper electro form uh alchemy um and that's about sick it. daggers crystal daggers yeah yep. cheers all right well uh much love peace everybody fire tribe you already know the vibes wake wake wake, wake, wake. Uh.